This show is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find the other great shows on the network, head over to the Deluxe Edition Network.com. That's what that's what Jane was talking about, Mark. Never point your finger at me, young man. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer, and joining me, as always, Ray, the podcaster. What's going on, Casey? Not much, Ray. We just had another incredible interview. I was thinking about changing that because I say that as if we haven't just talked for the last two hours. I, I, I am acting like we're just now seeing each other for the first time. <laughs> but in reality, we've talked for the last two hours with uh, the wonderful Mark Singer. Yes, an amazing man that I am so excited that I got to talk to today. Awesome. Yeah, this uh, this was a, another great one, man. We've already talked to uh, Mark two other times on the show. This is the first with Ray, and I think it might be a first for Mark as we went an hour and 35 minutes without mentioning the Beastmaster. Well, at some uh, point, uh, you know, if you're going to bring somebody back on, you, you can't just beat the Beastmaster to death, you know? Yeah. It, it's like talking to somebody who uh, is a fishmonger. Eventually, you got to talk to him something about something else, you know. Yeah, this was a this was a great episode. I'm friends with Mark Singer now, which fucking still <laughs> blows my mind to this to this day. Like, I just I can't believe that, I, that those words come out of my mouth <laughs> that I'm friends with the Beastmaster. Just, I like how you say that. It's fucking it's fucking crazy. But anyway. Let's get the house cleaning out of the way, and then we'll get you into this interview. It's a long one with Mark, but a good one. Go over and check out our previous shows over at deluxeedition.show. Uh, we are on Instagram and Twitter at deluxeeditionpod. You could support the show by buying a t-shirt over at whatamaneuver.net slash collection slash deluxe-edition, or you could join our Patreon by going to patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod. And don't forget to check out the other great shows over on our network, the deluxe edition network at deluxe edition network.com. And the podcast of the month this month is uh, my good friends horsing around over on, uh, they're on Spotify and every other major platform. It's my barber, Joel, and his other, uh, the other barbers at Red Horse Hair Salon in uh, Temple, Pennsylvania. So if you're ever in the area, go get your hair cut there or uh, just stop in and say hello. They would, uh, they would definitely love to see you. Sweet. Ray, your plugs, please. My plugs are, I am Ray. I am the host of Tencent Beer Night Podcast, Spotify only. Come visit me on Instagram and Facebook. Leave a message. Go over to Tee Public and buy some of my shit. You can get a great coffee mug, and you can you know you can actually drink whiskey out of a coffee mug. So it's a good buy. You can drink whiskey. Here's a here's <laughs> a fun fact about whiskey, Ray. Yeah, you can drink it out of just about anything. That's pretty true. <laughs> As we find out on uh, our other friends over at the Barrel Age Flicks podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, check them out. Check everyone else out over at DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. Check Ray out, the Tencent Beer Night podcast. And definitely stick around for this interview with 
Mark Singer. Let's do uh, it. As you can see, a lot has changed here since the last time uh, that you have been here. I just got a notification actually on my uh, Facebook. Uh, again, notifications. It's been one year almost to the day since you've been on the show last. Wow. That's yeah. a, you know, in, uh, uh, in, uh, you know, in a lot of the lore of, uh, of this kind of media, whether it was on television or, or over the uh, internet, recurrent guests uh, are a kind of a feature that, uh, uh, that people aspire to be in that it, 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 there's, it, it shows something about the show. I don't know how to articulate it right now. That'll be a hindrance when we actually start talking, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it's something. And I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of that. It's been a, that means that you and I have been friends for a long time and Ray, we're just beginning <laughs> a friendship that I hope will prove to be as, uh, as, uh, as compelling and interesting to me and as important to me as uh, Casey in mind is. No, oh, I'm looking forward to it because okay. you're a very interesting fellow. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about, um, yes, you have mentioned that, you know, we have become uh, friend, friendly over the, the course of the last year. He's, uh, down, he's our... downgraded it. He's downgraded <laughs> it a few degrees from friends to friendly. <laughs> <laughs> we are friends. I'm getting to that. <laughs> But the first the first time that I ever met you outside of the podcast was at uh, Pensacola, uh, the Pensacon, Pensacola, Pensacon. Yeah, I made a bet with my I took my nephew. I yeah. say that I take him, but I really like to go meet me to everyone <laughs> also, you know, um, and all, we're on our way there from Tallahassee. And I say, uh, yeah, I say when, when we hook up with Mark, you know, we'll probably be out going out to dinner with him and. You know, hanging out all night and what? We get there, and I'm like, I I have my wallet, and I'm like, <laughs> hi hi hi, Mister Singer. That and we, I I got my I got my picture with you, Len. Later in the day, I got my autograph or whatever. And then as soon as we left the table, my my nephew, <laughs> oh yeah yeah, <laughs> you're the man, yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, we all set ourselves up that way, don't we? That was a weird time because I'd already, uh, we'd already met via the internet. And then there you were face to face with me. And because of the noise and the other distractions, I didn't recognize who you were in the same way that people walking down the street might not recognize some celebrity until somebody nudges them and says, Do you know who that is? And so when it was all over and you told me that story, I was as stunned as anybody could be. You mean you were standing there face to face with me and neither of us knew who, who we were? That was that was the bit of the Twilight Zone, wasn't it? Yes, but since then, we have now become friends. You've invited me into your home yeah. a few times. Yeah. And uh it's it's been great. Always a pleasure. Yeah, is it okay if I talk to the talk about the time that I came to your house? <laughs> Yeah, the, the the windows are closed. The neighbors can't hear. <laughs> Go ahead, but uh, is this uh, is this entertainment or is it evidence? No, no, it's entertainment. <laughs> okay, all right, that's okay then. So uh, we were <laughs> we were doing a little exercise, like a little uh, acting exercise. Oh, yeah. we, oh, you yeah, were having yeah. me read uh, Macbeth. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, after what I've been watching a lot more of your movies lately, you know, leading up to this and the way that you can switch your character, like, so in that, in, in your living room sitting there, yeah, you did something where you like, you turned on me <laughs> as a way to show me. That's why I don't, your... that's why I don't get invited back to parties. <laughs> <laughs> But I was like, I mean, I know it was like just acting, but it was like, <laughs> holy shit. Like, I'm actually a little scared here. <laughs> like, how do you so how do you change the your character so quickly? Like, and what and like, if you have to be an angry character or a mean character, what what are you thinking about? Like, what goes through your your head? Because some of the movies that I've been watching recently have you've been a bad guy in some of them. You know, it's a it's a. One of the underlying features of uh, of the acting profession or the acting trade, um, we could call it the acting craft. Uh, it, I call it those things. Sometimes it produces art, but mostly it's a trade or a craft. And one of the keys to the trade or the craft that uh, eventually comes uh, over people who are serious about the work and serious about their own development in the work is the ground rule which we're not allowed in real life because in real life you can't turn to somebody across the well you can more and more these days unfortunately but you can't just turn to somebody on the street and say listen you son of a bitch you can't say that because the chances are you'll get run over or knocked down one or the other or find yourself in an altercation but by the rules of acting nobody can do anything that isn't written on the page and so the idea that I'm able to express anger or joy or uh, hysteria or uh, ecstasy or any, any other emotion, or any actor is, is based on that ground rule, which is that acting itself depends upon the license and the freedom to be able to express the things that we're not allowed to express in everyday life. We have them all the time. We feel frustrated and angry that somebody cuts us off in traffic or gets the seat we wanted to sit in in the in the movie theater or something like that. But we can't say anything about it. We can't even say to the girl across the counter, you're so beautiful. Or to the anybody that you meet on the street, I think you're a wonderful person. Because it's not within the rules. But in acting, you get to say whatever is on the page. And you get to say it in whatever way you like, as long as the common rules of uh, aggression and the limits of aggression are adhered to. Man, that's some long answer, isn't it? <laughs> that's, a good, that's good, though. Is, yeah. is this from, uh, we both just recently watched the, the movie House Hunting. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think that's what Casey's alluding to here is, is that uh, you get pretty crazy in that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a that was a, a bizarre movie. Boy, that was one of those movies where it was one of those acting experiences where art mirrors life. Um, uh, that house that we filmed in was a genuinely spooky house. It sat out on uh, on a little crest of hill in what in another land would be called the Moors. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it was in the late fall or early winter. And so. The trees were basically bare. 
and it was just desolate, dark, and spooky all the time. And so the idea of feeling displaced sort of it, it, it came with every dawn because all you had to do was walk toward that house and you would feel like, Oof, let's, uh, let's get inside and see how we survive today. You know, sometimes, uh, and the best of times, uh, the surrounding creates a lot of, a lot of the mood and hmm. a lot of the tonality that you, that you bring out of it. And that was certainly one of the cases. Yeah. So, so that movie was actually shot in an actual house, not on sets at all. No, that was actually shot in a house. In fact, I believe I'm, I, I don't want to uh, misrepresent it, but I believe it was the director's home in which he was raised as a child, uh, which may <laughs> which, <laughs> which may have something to do with the strange turn of mind that uh, that lay behind that uh, that depiction. But the house was definitely a presence, and and I think he really succeeded in the in in making that evident in the film. Yeah, it's a great movie. Oh, um, I appreciate it. Talking about uh, spooky stuff before we go back into what we were talking about. Do you believe in ghosts? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I not only believe in ghosts. I've had uh, I've had experiences that absolutely convince me uh, that there's uh, there's uh, other dimensionality uh, to existence than we than we find ourselves blunted to for most of the hours of the day and night. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 can I tell you a ghost story? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a ghost incident in an apartment building in uh, New York city, overlooking Riverside drive, uh, an apartment building that was probably built around uh, the beginning of the 20th century. Big high vaulted ceilings and a massive fireplace and uh, massive living room, dining room, kitchen, maid servants, quarters, things like that. Massive, massive, uh, overlooking the Hudson River. And uh, I was there with a couple of other members of my family and my wife. And uh, it was the home of a director and his significant other. And when we came in the door to have uh, dinner that evening, during the conversation, he said, you know, the place is haunted. And we said, oh, well, it's, no, it seems a little haunted. And he said, no, no, no. I mean, it's genuinely haunted. And so we were spending the evening and got to that kind of lull in the conversation where people were wondering, is it time to go home? Or, you know, what are we going to do with the next half hour, hour we're supposed to be here? And what we did was we sat around a round oak table, a massive old oak table, and we cut out the letters of the alphabet and the numbers one to 10 and yes and no, like on a Ouija board. And we spread the numbers one through 10 here and the alphabet one, A, B, C, D through Z over there. Jeez, I know I'm not drunk. I can do the alphabet part. Okay, so, <laughs> uh, so um, and then we had the yes and the no. And then we took a, a, a regular whiskey tumbler, you know, a big heavy cut glass whiskey tumbler and turned it upside down and put it in the center of the table. I know this is a long preamble, but, but uh, we'll get there. Everybody then was asked to just touch the glass in the lightest way, just touch the glass with the tip of their finger. And in the instant that we barely touched the glass, it began revolving around the table 
began revolving around and around. <laughs> and uh, the lights were up, by the way. The lights were up. was no spooky atmosphere with candles and booga booga. It was that. So the host then began to ask questions. You know, are you here? Are you? Did you used to live in the house? Did the thing? And it gave coherent answers, and the answers were all absolutely relevant to the situation we were sitting in. And uh, it said there was that it had hidden money in the fireplace, and that there was, you know, that it and it had somebody go over and play a scale on the piano because he was he used to be a musician, and all of this tallied with the history of the house. Still with me? Okay. Yep. Okay. Only one person at the table didn't want to touch the glass. And that was the director's significant other. Didn't want to, didn't want to touch the glass. He said, I don't feel good about this. I don't feel good about this. And it got so that your arm was tired from following this glass around. See, it was moving so much and so vigorously. And sometimes it would get excited and knock all the letters off the table. And the host would yell, stop, stop that now. Stop, stop, just calm down. And we'd pick up all the papers and stuff and put them back on the table. It was fascinating. And finally, there was just myself because your arm would get tired. So people would take their hand off the glass, but it would continue to move with only one or two fingers barely touching it. And there was only myself and one other touching the glass, someone I could trust completely, barely. And the glass was just sort of doing this, just a just little bit, little bit, little bit. And the one that went, the one at the table said, I don't feel comfortable about this. That person finally just barely touched the glass. And the glass flew off across the room like it had been hit by a hockey stick, like that and exploded against the wall into shards no bigger than this. It was, if somebody had been standing between that glass and the wall, they would have been injured. But it, wow. sh- it shattered, it exploded against the wall. And so you ask me if I think, and everybody else, everybody went, geez, look at the time. <laughs> <laughs> been a wonderful meal i don't think i'll digest it but i'm gonna go home and see if i can go to sleep but yeah so i believe and i definitely believe that there's an other dimensionality to our to our processes yeah hey, wow that's uh that's a crazy story it's out there i've had a couple more but i mean that's uh that's it i and uh, um you know i heard somebody else say once they don't they don't play with ouija boards and stuff like that they said it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem fair to be dithering with other forces that you know not of to quote hamlet (laughs) the reason i brought that up is uh while we were emailing this week i was (laughs) i was in uh it was called and ray and i were just talking about it before you jumped on it It was called the mizpah uh it's between uh reno and las vegas in uh, tonopah nevada oh yeah it was built in 1907, this place, and uh, apparently, I was just about to tell Ray this right before you jumped on, so I booked a hotel. I use, like, sometimes when there's not bigger hotels in the town, I use Expedia, and I did that for this town, and I came up with this, the Mizpah, and I go, and I check in, I drive there. It took me, like, three and a half hours to drive there, and I check in, I get a shower, I call my girlfriend, and... I say, hey, I'm at the, the Mizpah. 
in uh, Tonopah, and she she Googles it, and she said, oh, do you know that's the most haunted hotel in America? <laughs> what? <laughs> I did not know that. Expedia failed to tell me yeah, that. But, but yeah. you, had, you had the option to stay in the clown hotel because you thought... <laughs> No, I'm going to pass on the clown hotel and go yeah, to this yeah. nice, nice, safe motel. Yeah, the clown hotel, too spooky. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not staying in it. Well, I, <laughs> I'm not staying in anything where the door opens to the outside. It's just, I don't know. I need a hallway to walk into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and in that hotel, in that hotel, you had a hallway to hear them coming down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The reason I wanted to get into you uh, acting mean and the angry character, um, are there any characters that you've ever had to play over over the course of your career where you had trouble getting into character? Because I, I just watched a role of yours the other day where it's, I don't think it's something you could get away with today. It was in a, a movie called A Man Called Sarge. Oh, yeah. Where you played uh, Kraut. Uh, I forget. Yeah. General was... Von Kraut, yeah, yeah. In it, we filmed that in Israel. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. That was deep. So, what what was it like? Like, did you get any shit for playing a Nazi? Sure did. Yeah. Well, that that's a boy. That's a question that that covers a lot of territory, and I'll bet you a lot of actors and and directors and producers and writers could uh, answer in the affirmative for being in situations or accepting roles or assignments that uh, that cause them, shall we say, consternation. Before I get to A Man Called Sarge, I was filming um, here in town. I'd, I'd just come to Los Angeles off of the stage from doing, in fact, The Taming of the Shrew. And I was finding uh, a lot of work uh, in those days. And, and um, I was, uh, I believe I was uh, playing in a mini-series either 79 Park Avenue or The Contender. So I was in a very enviable position uh, working at Universal Studios, uh, I believe it was. And then I got a call that someone was interested, uh, David Wolper, was uh, his casting agent, was interested in seeing, who had seen me in The Taming of the Shrew, was interested in me coming in and reading uh, a role on Roots. Alex Haley's Roots, the next generation, not the first one, but the second. And I went in and gave a a, a, a pretty good audition as a, a terrible redneck bigot around the post-Civil War days in the South. And uh, the use of the N-word was liberal throughout the, throughout the portrayal. So anyway, now I was the hottest thing in town, in my own opinion, because I not only was playing in my own miniseries, the starring role over here, but then as well, I was now I was double cast because I was going to be doing an important miniseries over here. And that that's legendary. That's the kind of uh, contractual situation that you hear about people in the 1930s, 40s and 50s uh, being in. But the night before my first show, and I was very new to film. I mean, I was learning how to act on film. Uh, I'd acted on a stage long enough to know how to act on stage, but acting on film is a different kettle of fish. But I went to bed that night thinking, boy, tomorrow, tomorrow I go on stage in front of those cameras. I'm going on stage in front of those cameras in Roots Part 2. I said, tucking the, 
blankets up under my chin uh, <laughs> tomorrow. I get, and I'm going to say the N word to this guy in front of 22 million people. <laughs> and and in, be front saying, of, in, in front of black people too. I mean, there's in front of, a ton in, of black in front of everybody. I'm going to be Mark Singer is going to be out there saying the N word, the N word, the N word, the N word, the N word over and over and over again, hatefully and degradingly in shot after shot after shot after shot throughout this assignment. And I broke out into an absolute cold sweat uh, and uh, I didn't sleep much, didn't sleep well that night and had to remind myself that I was dedicating the work to a, to the cause of enlightenment, uh, not on behalf of degradation. Uh, in order to sort of talk myself down out of it, so uh, the seriousness of the of the of the assignments that we uh, assume and the uh, responsibility that we have to uh, to to bringing them off with some sense of uh, value toward humanity is very real for us. But to, what were we talking about before? There was another one that you were talking about. A man called Sarge. A man called Sarge. In in a man called Sarge, I was uh, the German general von Kraut. And we we uh, we filmed this in uh, it was a comedy, a World War Two comedy. Get this filmed in Israel. Ha ha. Uh, yeah. So here I am with butter yellow hair when I first got over there. <laughs> Turned snow white by the end of the filming. But I was uh, it was uh, butter yellow. And in those days, I was uh, uh, pretty buff and. Um, so here I was striding around in Israel with this hyper World War II Aryan look about me. And the response from people who had suffered through World War II was, uh, uh, was something I'll never, never forget because I was there to make a film and a funny one at that. Uh, and the uh, unintended consequences uh, were... Um, uh, were, had an indelible impression on me, I can assure you. I'll tell you another story about being over there, by the way, talking about interesting moments in, in, in filming. Um, wow, see, that, that's, when you were asking me about, about showing anger or something like that, the other thing about acting is that you have to, you, you know this, uh, uh, Ray, I'm sure, is, uh, in, and, and Casey, you as well, this, in, in performing. You have to be able to absorb and reflect upon the emotions that flow through you at any given time. So speaking about the ghost story, <laughs> it actually freaked me out again. And then speaking about the moment in Israel <sighs> brought back to me the... Uh, the emotions of that moment. I won't give them a name. They were too many. But while we were in Israel, we were filming a battle sequence. And we were in a box canyon like this, you see, with high walls on either side and then a curved ending to it here. And down below in the box canyon, the props department and the set decorators were burning old tires. And we had a couple of Sherman tanks down there rumbling around in some old World War II type half tracks and Jeeps and things like that to simulate uh, the, the remnants of a battle that had just been fought. Uh, and so while they were filming that, uh, members of the crew and, uh, and the cast, uh, we were standing up on the rim of this canyon, you see, uh, looking down at this stuff. And somebody had failed to, somebody in the company had failed to inform the 
Israeli Air Force that we were filming a battle scene. And so suddenly, coming at us across the desert on the deck was a squadron of four or five F-15s. And I mean screaming right at us. And we, because we were up on the canyon rim, those of us who were not down below, they were coming in at exactly our level. And, and they got the message at that last moment, it seems. But one of them did the most extraordinary thing. This F-15, this big hulking phantom, was a, you know, the, the F-15 phantom, I think is what they call them, the ones they used in Vietnam. It came screaming in right across my line of vision. Right across my line of vision. Yeah, I got to do this for camera. Right across my line of vision. And he went like, and I could see the, I could see the pilot in the cockpit. And Jesus. he went. And he looked out at the window, looked out the window, looked out the cockpit at me. He went. And disappeared up into the sky like a rocket ship. But he, he stood that thing on its tail in midair and stopped for a nanosecond. <laughs> Bap, boom! And gone. And that's how close we were to the, to the action there. And everybody went. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so filming, huh? Yeah. That leads me into one of my, I, I want to go back to um, I don't know that if I'll movie. Be this, this may be a week later after Halloween, but for me, it's Halloween now a night early. Holy God. I want to go back into a man called Sarge, but um, before that, is that the craziest uh, thing that's happened? Like, in the what am I trying to say? Not, not in the, not in anybody's career in the film industry is that the <laughs> Not by a long shot. I got, I was in Bulgaria. I was in Bulgaria, I, I, almost exactly a year after the wall came down, making a film over there, and running. And so, essentially, there was it was uh, essentially a, um, a detente was what we were practicing, which means everybody breaks down the war, the barriers. We're all friends now. Glasnost, everybody's happy. All brothers and sisters here. Yeah, bullshit. The, the, um, uh, the, the, the government was no different there than it was ever before. It was simply less, less overt to foreign eyes, but absolutely the iron fist as usual. Uh, people would walk up to you on the street, honestly, they would walk. I'd be walking down the street uh, when I wasn't working, which was rare, but walk down the street and somebody would come up to you and say, can you get my son out of the country? And go, no, I can't get your son. Why would you? No, oh, I don't even know who you are. Don't my God almighty, because you have no idea who that is. And that happened more than once. Can you get my son out of the country? He's a dentist. He's a doctor. Can you get him out of the country? Hmm. I mean, as, as if that isn't bizarre enough. We had a fight sequence on a tram. There's a, a, a two or three car tram that was, maybe it was only a one car tram. I can't remember now, it's been a while. But um, it, was tra- it travels through the center of, um, I wanna say Sofia was where we were filming, Sofia, Bulgaria. Um, and um, it was a spy movie that we were doing. 
and I was uh, an agent. And the bad guy and I were having a fight on board the tram. So the cameras are off in the distance with telephoto lenses uh, filming this fight that we're having in the, in the, in the, in the tram, you know, we're, we're going at it, bam, bam, struggling up against the walls and falling down on the seats and pulling up and the cameras following the tram and following there. Suddenly the tram stopped and the guy that I was fighting stopped and we both stopped and we looked out and there are all these armed men standing around the outside of the tram because again, nobody had informed the local police and all the time that I was <laughs> whacking this guy around and that he was whacking me around in, in return, we were in the crosshairs of their snipers who thought that they might have to intervene to save the people on the tram who were actually our extras. So, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's, you know, movie making. <laughs> Totally safe. Totally safe. <laughs> totally safe. First shot in the, not uh, one of my first shots in the Beastmaster. Guy comes riding in a horse, riding in on a horse. And I'm, I run out and say, stop. Say what you want. <laughs> <laughs> and the horse ran over me and that was it. And that was <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, man. I remember when we talked the first time we talked to you about the Beastmaster, how the one guy in the one uh, in the one stunt where all the uh, the fire was raining down and you can see the one guy get up and run off camera. Dead guy. Dead guy. (laughs) I may be be dead, but this is hell. (laughs) I'm not staying. (laughs) There's been a mistake. Going back into a man called Sarge. I I don't want to spend too much time on that. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I may be having a catharsis here at any moment. <laughs> I, hope to, I hope to God it's followed by a laughing jag. I that, thought it you was know very what? funny. I'll take over after you do this one, Casey, because I got a much <laughs> lighthearted movie I want to talk about. Go ahead. What is it, Casey? Go ahead. I <laughs> thought this movie was very funny. And for the time, yeah. uh, this movie worked great. And, a year later, Hot Shots came out, and it it was like one of the the best movies, you know, of the year. I just think it came out at the wrong time. Maybe uh, I don't know. It was I, I thought it was very funny, and if anyone likes those old uh, like the parody movies, um, definitely go back and watch it. Which one are you referring to? A man called Sarge. Oh, a man called Sarge. Oh yeah, yeah. They that was uh, I think it was the. I think it's the. I would love to say the first and only, but I think it was the second time that I ever appeared professionally in public in drag. And uh, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> they made they made high heel shoes for me. <laughs> were, you know, I'm like an 11 and a half foot. So I'm, I'm walking onto the set and the crew is not being kind. And uh, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, what I, what I came to understand was the hell that women go through wearing high heels. I have no idea how they do that. I have no idea. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. Ray, go ahead. All right. So in 1997, you were in a movie called Lancelot, Guardian of Time, which I happen to like a lot because I, I love movies it. like that. Thanks. Because um, 
it doesn't take itself too seriously. No, like, it doesn't. There's a there's parts in there where like uh, Zach Ward, he's got like a fight scene with Arthur on the picnic table and they become friends and stuff. So um, this movie, though, I think what makes it really fun is your, sh- your Shakespearean training. Because okay. the well, way you me, the way me, you talk uh-huh. in this movie really sells it. Wow. OK, I appreciate that. That that's a. Uh... It was a, a very low-budget film, modestly made, modestly priced, and I had a, so much fun working on that. You never know. You just can't tell um, uh, on some of these things. The production values can be uneven, um, mm-hmm. and, you, and you just give it the best shot you, you can, and, uh, and you know that uh, there are going to be some frayed edges here and there. I thought that film – I enjoyed working on that film a great deal, and I and – I, um, uh, I had a chance to do some stuff that I never had a chance to do before. Uh, the CGI fight with a with a dinosaur. Oh, uh, yeah, I was going to say there's a scene in there where you're battling and uh, John Saxon's character has this sword flying around in the air. Right. Is that on a string and you're just whacking it and spinning it? Or how did they pull that off? They had, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I believe it was our stunt coordinator, who's I'll go to hell for forgetting his name just now. <laughs> Um, uh, our stunt coordinator, who was very, very talented, was uh, not only uh, helped choreograph the fights, uh, but also was a was a kind of an expert at CGI uh, in a in a low budget uh, setting like that. Uh, and uh, while I don't remember precisely the sword aspect, I imagine it would be the same thing. But he made an entire Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton, mm-hmm. uh, as I recall, yeah. fight me in a museum. And and the thing, you know, there there are there are times in your career where you get to uh, say to yourself, you're in the presence of the of of uh, uh, of uh, you're, you're standing on the shoulders of greatness from the past. And in that sense of, of fighting that that CGI dinosaur, uh, when I saw the final effects of it on on the screen, I thought this looks like a Harryhausen movie. It's a well, I, I love Harry Housen, so that's I why do. part of the reason I love this movie. Yeah, I do yeah. too. And 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 it was that was one of the most attractive uh, aspects of the film. Sometimes you do it for something just like that. You know, I, I was able years and years later, I was able to act in a reincarnate in the resurrected new version of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I saw when I was a kid, I saw its first, you know, every time it was on every week, it was brand new. And then I grew up to be an actor and actually got to act on the twilight zone. It's, it's a, it's a good profession for that kind of, uh, uh, dream realization. Yeah. 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 Twilight zone, something when I was in high school, we watched that like every night, Yeah, <laughs> just over and over every night we watched twilight zone. But yeah, that, uh, what is that? 88 ish when you did twilight zone. Somewhere I around so. there. I think so, yeah. But you did the uh the, the baseball episode, correct? Wow. Get a load of you. Eh, I know not some only, things. <laughs> not only did I do the baseball episode, but you know, you can go through a whole career and people will say, you know, what's the what's the best thing you ever did or what's the thing you enjoyed most? And and uh, they'll expect you to say one of your 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 better known uh, pieces. That Twilight Zone is almost my favorite piece ever that I ever did. I had so much, I, I so empathized with that character and I had such a good time playing it. 
I, I'm, I'm knocked out that you saw that. Not many people. Oh, uh, I, I absolutely but, love the Twilight Zone. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, that was fun. I remember there was uh, some contention uh, about whether or not I would play the adenoidal broken nose of that player, you know, because he was injured. And I remember that I was playing him like this and, and that, that added something to the, to the kind of the childlike quality of it that really, that really appealed to me when I was doing it. And there was some contention to say, you can't do that. You, you, you can't do that. Why, why you're, why you're Mark Singer. And I, <laughs> Jesus God. Going back to the, uh, the Dragon Quest movie, do you like doing uh, CGI stuff? Because you've done some more of it since then. I do. I like CGI. Um, I, I like, listen, you have to, you have to move with the times. You know, I, I come from the, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm almost from, I'm from the stone age of, of uh, filmmaking where, where people did their own stunts and where stunts were all done basically live. You know, uh, Harryhausen was, uh, was not too distant uh, a historical figure to still be relevant in the way films were made in those days. You know, I make the reference, I think I've made it to you before, Casey, which is that, you know, John Wayne riding his horse with uh, Leo, uh, with uh, Pedro Armendariz and, and uh, uh, Harry Carey Jr. hot, hot in, uh, on his tail uh, across the plains. You know, that was no stunt. That's what those guys did. They brought that to work with them. And so the same thing was true for me is that I, whatever I brought, I brought to work with me. So CGI is a wonderful thing in, in the way that it can enhance the background. But I think it's more convincing and more fun for an audience when they, when they see the actual practical goods happening right in front of their eyes. Yeah. Ray and I are big fans of uh, the practical effects. Absolutely. On this show. I'm sorry. Fans of the what? Of practical effects. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Jeez, I was caught in a reverie there for a moment. <laughs> I want to go back to the beginning of your career, Mark, because I've heard you say uh, on several interviews that the first thing that you ever did on film was the Planet of the Apes. But I found an episode of Columbo that you were in. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Uh, and I watched it the other day. We love Peter Falk. We just had Ed, Ed Begley Jr. on uh, last week, and uh, he did an amazing Ed Be- uh, <laughs> an amazing Peter Falk impression. Uh, he was in the in-laws with him. So uh, your character, you were called Rocky a few times by the by the other doctor, and then he called you Roger after that. And you were <laughs> it was a very it was a very short scene, uh, but the <laughs> the lady uh, it was a very it was a very pivotal part in the show because the lady missed the murder and she missed everything that was going on because she was so intrigued with what you were doing on television yeah well yeah it was about as important as being the toaster that you drop into somebody's bath water um uh wow that's great um uh i um as far as uh, peter falk is concerned I was watching uh, uh, a rerun of Columbo because I just think they're great. I just think they're terrific. There's so, there's so much to recommend them. Uh, I mean, sometimes television or, or film uh, 
besides the actual value of the entertainment, uh, it's a time capsule. You can you can see what people thought of how people interact, how people live, what the sets were like, what the what 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 looked like fancy in those days, what was luxurious. You know, Do you, are you kidding me? Those big <laughs> chinaware lamps and and uh, you know that that gigantic ashtray. You know those. You know those. Those were things that people had in their homes. That that. That's one of my yeah. favorite parts of that episode is when Columbo. The the ep- I'm talking about the episode that you're in particularly. He ashes in a big silver dish, and the lady starts screaming at him. And he, I just thought it was an ashtray. <laughs> well, well. I tell you, I was so I was watching one of these. I was watching one of these, and, and you know they're like anything else. Some of them are better than others. Some better written. Some of them are better directed. Some of them are better acted. You know. So, so I was watching one with, uh, in fact, with my sister-in-law. I was watching one of these Columbos, and she's not a, in the entertainment business. She's just a civilian watching a show, and I said. This never did. This is a great director. She said, "What?" I said, "This particular Columbo." I said, "This is fantastic. Look at look what the director's doing." And never mind. I mean, the story's good and the, the acting is wonderful, but look what the director is doing. Look, look, look. See what this is, and I would point out something in the shot, and I go, "See that? See that? Look! Oh!" And then that means see why he's doing that. And he said, "Thing, thing, thing." You know who directed it? Who? Oh. Peter Falk. <laughs> wow! Isn't that amazing? You could see the you could see the quality of that talent, how great a talent that man had to be able to not only produce a character like that out of the ether, but then the technical skill to say, by the way, I'll direct this one. Watch this. I'll show you how to direct. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a great show. Uh, so did I know you only had a small role in it, but did you get to meet any of the other characters? Like you were that episode had Martin Landau, P- of course, Peter Falk, Julie Newmar, and Dabney Coleman. You're you're absolutely right when you say that really is the first thing. It's, that, that that probably is the actual very first thing that I ever did professionally on film originating or in Hollywood and that was in Hollywood and I it was it was certainly no in those days I was working at the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco and uh, uh, I was here in town and was cast in that role I think because people may have thought there was a future in me I don't know but it was I mean I looked at it as more of a kind of almost uh, a, a, a screen test, but I certainly didn't know anything about how films were made or uh, any of that kind of stuff. So when people ask me, you know, what's my first film, I go to the planet of the apes because by then I was, it's something that other people would, they might recognize. And, and at the same time, they could identify with some of the naivete of the, of the performer or the performance and uh, and get a sense of who I was or where I came from, stuff like that. Something like that, like on Columbo, that's that small. And I was on television, on television. Um, <laughs> it, it's 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 good for it's good because that's how things work. And it's and it's fun to 
as I said, you might as well have been the toaster that they throw into the water. He's <laughs> taking his bath. But that's uh, that was a that was my first moment to walk into a big studio and and actually get made up by a professional makeup artist in the in the film industry and and have people yell quiet on the set and uh, let's go for another one and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, it's a great episode. I, I recommend it for anyone uh, right. who's a fan of Mark. Definitely check it out. My favorite scene of the show is when uh, Columbo walks in and Julie Newmar is stretching out on the uh, the balcony. And she's, just just give me a minute. He goes, oh, I don't mind watching. <laughs> Julie Newmar. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the original um, cat lady. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Another great show. Well, I leaned in for that one, didn't I? Yeah, <laughs> let's talk, let's you, talk Julie Newmar. You've yeah. been on screen with quite a few beautiful women. I was on screen with Joan Collins. I was on screen <laughs> with Joan Collins in a um, boy. And I uh, I want to say, well, it'll come to me later. But um, th- this shows you that boy. If there's nothing that that proves that this is live, that will. Um, <laughs> And I had been, we were sitting at a table or a desk and we were discussing something very intensely, you know, she and I, oh, you know, what about this and what about that and so forth. And uh, I get up and I say, well, I got to go now. I'll see you later. And I I exit behind the camera and she picks up the telephone. I turned around to, to watch her performance when I had exit camera, turned around and she picked up the telephone, Joan Collins. And and it was as though she was the light. She lit up that set. Just suddenly went boom. And I remember standing behind the camera thinking, that's that's movie greatness. That's what movie greatness is. It's the ability to do that. What on earth did she just do? How did that happen? How on earth did that happen? And she got up and she made her exit and then she turned off the light and that was it. She was like, okay. Now we'll it's unbelievably extra. You know, I can, uh, can I tell you one more, uh, Geraldine page, you were talking about actresses. Uh, Absolutely. Speaking of actresses, I may have told this story before. I know I've told it in, in uh, some, some time, but it's, but it really is. It bears, it bears repeating because uh, Ray, you and I were talking uh, earlier, I think about acting being a craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, Geraldine page. Was I was uh, her? I played her son in a movie for television called Something for Joey, about uh, John Capaletti who won the Heisman Trophy and whose younger brother was uh, afflicted with leukemia, and he dedicated the Heisman Trophy to his younger brother as being the true brave hero in the house. So uh, we were doing that portion where the where where it's the award ceremony. And Geraldine Page is sitting with my family, my screen family, in around the table. And I'm Capoletti. I'm up on the dais and making my speech. And it comes to the part of the speech where I say, but most of all, I'd like to thank my mother. Now, it's her close-up. So I'm off camera up on the stage. And she's the, the camera's on her now. She's framed in the camera. And I say... But most of all, I'd like to thank 
and a tear breaks from her eye and rolls down her cheek. And I continue, my mother, for being, you know, wonderful and for the things that she's done and so on, so on, so on, so on, so on. So on. Cast and crew is just flabbergasted, see? And the, the director says, cut. He says, print. Because it was all on film in those days. Print. She says, no, no, no. She says, do another one. That was no good. <laughs> Everybody goes, what do you mean? That was fantastic. She says, no, 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 no. Makeup, come here, come makeup. Let me have makeup. Let me refresh. So makeup comes and they dab around her eye and stuff. And while they're making up her eye, she says to her eye, she says, wait for your cue. <laughs> now we, the director says, the, the assistant director says, roll them, and the director calls action. And I do that same speech and I say, but most of all, I'd like to thank my ma, and on the first syllable of mother, I'd like to thank my ma, a tear breaks from her eye and rolls down her cheek. And (laughs) director says, cut, print. And she says, that's the one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you you work with people like that and you just go, well, that's it. I I got to tear up my card. I I don't belong in this business. Hey, they got to have somebody to say the other lines. Yeah, that's right. Good for you. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Thanks. Somebody's got to do it. Between the ghost stories and, and, and that faint phrase, uh, I'll be sleeping under the bed tonight. <laughs> hey, uh, you were on the love boat for yeah. two episodes as Judy's ex-husband, who's trying to win her back. And this is much farther along into your career than that first Columbo thing. Uh, by this point, did you kind of have a feel for how it all worked and, you know, was it much more comfortable? It was, it was a lot more comfortable by then. A couple of interesting things. The, um, the love boat that I was in, as opposed to being filmed in the studio, we actually went to Europe and filmed that on a love boat, on a big, what was then, in those days, uh, considered a large luxury cruise liner. And... Uh, it was a it was a wonderful experience. I mean, I had a great time, and uh, and everybody in the cast was wonderful. I met Trevor Howard, who I had admired, God Jesus, re- re- revered for all of his work for so long. And um, while we were at sea, oh, that's, okay. So we're we're heading out of Portsmouth, or 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 yeah, I guess it was or Southampton in England. We're going to sail through the, um, we're going to sail through the English channel uh, or around the tip of England through the English channel. And then, then we're going to cut through a, a, uh, a canal into the black sea and we're going to sail around the black sea. So first there's the lifeboat drill uh, on board the boat. I say, okay, well, everybody go to your assigned, put on your life vest and go to your assigned boat. So you'll know where it is. And, you know, Everybody puts on their life vest. We're, we're tied up at the dock. We haven't left yet, Southampton. And you go and you stand by your lifeboat. So you've got nine people, let's say, on your boat and nine people down to the next one and the next one and the next one. And you can't help yourself. You, you stand there like this. You go like, okay, I got, I got a lifeboat. And you go like this and then you go. You stand there and you go. And you look at the lifeboat down the way and you go, they'll never make it. <laughs> and, and you look down this way and you go 
Yeah, they'll do okay. They'll do okay. You look at your own crew. You look at your own crew. And you go, okay, okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> I'll bet I'm not the only guy that felt that way. <laughs> Take a good picture. Um, uh, I bet a lot of people wanted to be on your boat. <laughs> I went, well, I, I, we almost needed it. Um, we were we were heading. I think we had just gone around the tip of England, or just coming out of the English Channel, one or the other, and we got hit by a rogue wave, and uh, we got hit broadside. And uh, I was in the dining room at the time. And uh, when you're on those boats, that's where you always are, is in the <laughs> dining room. So, so um, I was sitting at the dining room, in the dining room, and suddenly the entire dining room went <laughs> like this. And the dining room is on an upper deck. <laughs> and I was looking down across the dining room, through the windows, at the water of this gigantic liner that we were on. And then it righted itself. And then it went even higher up. And you're looking right down into the ocean. And then Jesus. it evened out and <laughs> we continue on with the love boat. <laughs> That's when you're trying to decide if you want to grab another drink of your life fest at that moment. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I saw the movie The, the, the Titanic. Yeah, <laughs> or The Poseidon Adventure. That would be another bad yeah. one to conjure up at that moment. While we're talking about uh, television shows that you did, we recently lost Angela Lansbury, October 11th. I know you worked with her on Murder, She Wrote. What could you tell us about working with her? She's a great lady. She's a great lady and a modest lady, uh, totally unassuming, and a, a true, uh, and I want to say, that I, I wish I had another way of, uh, of coming up with this just off the top of my head, but a, like a historic professional, in the sense that, the hist that she carried the history of professionalism with her to and from the set. She was always pleasant company. She was fun, enjoyed herself being on the set, enjoyed whatever it was that you were doing on the set. Just one of the gang, but special, just really special. Uh, I don't know, how am I going to say this? I, I, there was a, uh, occasionally in town, you're, you're, you're invited to participate in some black tie ceremony of various sizes can be thousand people can be 200 people uh, in honor of, of, uh, of some exalted uh, and duly. So member of our, of our community, of our creative community. And there was uh, a, a tribute being paid to Angela Lansbury in uh, well, I wish I could remember which theater it was. It was a very, very big theater. There were, there was easily a thousand people there. This was years after I had done uh, Murder, She Wrote. And uh, we'd only met the once on the show and only did a few scenes together. And that was that. She's worked with hundreds, thousands of people in her career. 
And I made my way down the aisle when the event was over and people were walking up and saying, oh, Angela, darling, and kissing her on both cheeks and doing stuff like that. And she was preoccupied with some other people. And as I approached, she looked around and happened to catch my eye. She said, oh, Mark, hi, good to see you. How are you, sweetheart? <laughs> Bam, just like that, you know? So you, you, you can't say enough good things about her. And the, and the other thing is that, you know, in this town, one of the humbling things is, is, uh, is to watch older films and to see people that you've worked with and to find another film and another film and another film and another film that they've done that you didn't, that you didn't know that they've been in and to see another extraordinary performance and another extraordinary performance and another one. It's just, I mean, it just, it's, 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 it, it, it takes all you've got just to get on the set sometimes and stand up to them and say hello, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's like to do this show. Like all the <laughs> yeah. research that we put into this show last week, I mentioned we, we interviewed Ed Begley Jr. Right. And I started, I started doing more research on his father than on him. I, his dad was a, terrific actor and then you look into it and he dropped out of school in the fifth grade and got into the carnivals and like didn't even begin acting until he was in his 40s and it's just ed, uh, ed bagley ed bagley senior is uh between my daughter and me my ed bagley senior in this house is an icon <laughs> and we refer to ed bagley senior constantly he's a go-to he's a go-to guy when we talk about things that are most enjoyable in film. And if one of us does something that reminds us of something that happened to Ed Bagley in some film somewhere, because he was always put upon, you know, he was always the guy that was having a stroke when he was really such a great guy, or he was the one who, uh, who, who robbed the jewelry store and got shot 12 times. And there's Harry Belafonte and uh, Robert Ryan saying, throw us the keys, throw us the keys. And he's, ah, crawling along the pavement ed vaguely he's the best he's the yeah best. and i've seen him deliver i've seen him deliver reams of dialogue that are just transfixing he's just fantastic you bet that's it th those are the people those are the giants whose footsteps we walk in and and uh and and consistently we find things that uh in in our predecessors work uh that we uh, draw from and emulate and and take lessons from uh, Dana Andrews is a famous is a, a real favorite of mine. Dana Andrews can do more with an unmoving expression. He can go seventy eight different places with that, and you just say, "How in the hell does he do that? How does he do that?" He's a wonderful actor. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you and I have talked off screen about some of the older actors about you mentioned earlier, John Wayne, like coming to, to work, riding the horse. Like, that's what they did. They grew up doing that. And then they, you know, conveniently got a job being a, a movie star and having to use those skills that they that they grew up using. Yeah. John Wayne conveniently became the most famous movie star in the history of film. <laughs> Ray, uh, do you have anything else before I move move on to? I have I have I two do. other things before we move on to uh, uh, fan questions. I do. I I have one more. Um, Dan Turner, Hollywood Detective. I love Tulsa, that, Oklahoma. That noir detective talk, you know, where it's like she walked into my office and she had the kind of legs that went all the way up and made an ass out of themselves. Like, I love that kind of stuff. 
And I think this is a fun movie that most people don't realize is out there. I think this is a fun movie. Uh, I do too. It was a, it was a, um, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, I, I, there were a lot of things to say about that. I, I, I had a great deal of fun in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There's always, there's always stories from the set, but Dan Turner, I, I've, I heard Gregory Peck talk this way once about his own work. Dan, Dan Turner was for me, one of those turning points in my own work. I was uh, Beastmaster was one, uh, the Taming of the Shrew back on stage. That was one. But Dan Turner was a was a um, uh, a turning point in my own work. I began to to I began to approach my characterizations in a different way, and I began to synthesize my own centrality uh, as a as an acting personality uh, in a in a different way. And um, I think one of the things that um, actors have to deal with is the transition of time and awareness. We start out all of us in this world wet behind the ears uh, and uh, we gradually get drier and drier as we get older and older uh, until like today you can feel absolutely arid, but, uh, but, but one way or the other you do deepen and broaden your understanding of yourself and your understanding of your place in the world and, and, uh, and realize that um, uh, that you would like to be more expressive of uh, of this uh, growing awareness, and that's where that's where I was in Dan Turner. That's where I was in Dan Turner. Yeah, I think that movie because it also shows your your uh, your ability to change your voice is pretty cool. Like between that and uh, the other one we talked about, Lance a lot. Yeah. It, it, just your vocal stylings are so different from movie to movie. And I like that a lot. Boy, you scare me. You, you pick right up on it. That's exactly, <laughs> no, I mean it. You, you pick right up on it. That's uh that's spooky. That's a, that's a, that was, look, I, I work on uh, everybody, everybody. I, if they don't, every actor should work on their craft every day. I don't care whether you're whether you're actually employed or unemployed. It doesn't matter because the times, uh, the free time uh, that an actor spends is is there for everybody. And in that free time, y- you need to be working on your on what is called your instrument, and the mm-hmm. voice is key to that. I have uh, developed a uh, a significant relationship with a famous psychologist. Uh, in uh, Germany, the mother of a friend of mine. And uh, we were discussing, uh, she was discussing techniques that she used in her practice. And I was introducing my thoughts about how important the voice is in in expressing who we are, uh, which is, you know, germane to her work. And she has adopted some of that into her own process these days with uh, with her clients. And so that vocal thing that you were talking about, about Dan Turner, uh, that was part of the search. And that's part of the search. And that's that's and you 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 struck right at the uh, right at the nub of it. Yeah. Yeah, because I won't name names, but there are a lot of actors who are big who you can take the character from each movie 
Yeah. Drop them into the other movies, yeah. and you wouldn't even see a difference. Yeah, yeah. And I don't like that. That bothers me. It's a it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, the blessing is that it it is uh, it provides great security and consistency, <laughs> both for the actor and also for the for the paying public. But it is uh, uh, it is a curse in that it uh, it's limiting. We were talking about that with uh, your co-star on V, Jane Badler, a few weeks ago. Um, she had mentioned the same thing. Like she was working with uh, someone, and I guess they weren't real, really. They were just like being the same character that they were. And she was like, "Come on, you was have to me? give me something to work Come with." Come on, was no, it no, me? Was it me? Nah, it wasn't Come you. On, no, no, no. We're all friends here. <laughs> no it wasn't you but she was mentioning that same thing like ray just mentioned like a lot of the actors today they don't have that that kind of ability they're just you know the same the same person in every movie well i think the i think the uh uh the key uh again goes back to the conversation that uh ray uh tripped us into which is uh about um uh, craftsmanship is that acting is not a uh, it's not a fantasy uh, it's not a psychotic state it's not a dream world it's a craft if you can teach somebody to be a brain surgeon given that they have the talent and the inclination you can certainly teach them how to act uh, and uh, it is a it is a, a set of mechanics as definite or can be a set of mechanics as fundamentally definite as uh, how to how to build a, an automobile engine. Uh, where the where the uniqueness comes in is in the enterprising way in which the component parts uh, relate one to another. That's what make, that's what makes the individuality. That's never, what that's never, what Jane never, was talking about. Never, Mark. never point your finger at me, young man. <laughs> no, no, no. But you, you actually it reminds me of what Jane actually said. <laughs> I am excited because he gets she excited. She said what she was talking about was is the other actor. It wasn't the, what they did. It was that they didn't feel like they were acting with them. Right. She felt like they were just acting for themselves. It wasn't giving her anything to work with. Yeah. That's what made her mad. Yeah, it's a it's a that's a it's a it's a it's a. I won't. I won't. I won't give it any more. Uh, I, I won't give it um, any more credence than to say that it's a uh, it's a difficulty that we that we face sometimes because we take it upon ourselves as professionals to say uh, I could act opposite a clothing store dummy, uh, and then they put one up in front of you and you go, well, I guess I can't. I, I, <laughs> uh, but but I mean, uh, no, you. We really do. We rely upon that. Um, I did, as a matter of fact, well, I'll tell you that story. Um, but I mean, uh, what Jane, I think, is expressing is not that she couldn't handle this, even if she were just acting opposite a clothing store dummy, but how much better it could have been, how much more exciting, how much more engrossing, how much more captivating and empathetic it could have been. Because Jane can do anything. She, she's, <laughs> I mean, a professional can, a professional can. I remember I was in a, in a, in a film in Canada. Um, boy, there's another one I can't remember the name of. Isn't that weird? Okay, but anyway, I was in a film in Canada, and I was on the rooftop of uh, some shed, and uh, the actress was down below, 
and she had been having a long, hard couple of days. And it was snow bands pass. That's <laughs> one. That's it. What was it called? Snow what? Snow snowman's, snowman's pass. pass. Snowman's pass. And uh, and whichever actor or actress it was that had been down there was having a long day. The crew was tired. We were all tired. And I said, you know, I was on top of the roof talking to her this, talking to her like this. And that meant that they would have to shoot me. Then they would have to shoot her. Then they would have to shoot me. And they'd have to shoot this. And they'd have to shoot that. And we'd be there forever. <clears throat> and uh, we were all, it was a great company and a great experience. Wonderful actors had a, had a wonderful time. But I, I said, you know what? Why don't we just do her side, all of her stuff, and let her go home? Let her get some sleep, you know? And they said, well, what do you do when you when we do your close-ups and your, you know, your shots? I said, I'll, I'll do them by myself. It doesn't matter. So they, she finished and went on home. They turned the camera on me. And I did all the pauses and all the takes. And I said, I don't, I don't need anybody reading off camera because it's not the same as the, as the actress who was here. And I just did all my stuff, you know. You what? Oh, my. Well, don't talk to me like that. Oh, my gosh. Here they come. All right, guys, follow me. And, you know, whatever it was, the scene, and off we went. Um, but it can be done that way. I mean, that's, that's – and, uh, you know, that was that was the way it was done. And she, yeah, and I know that because I just watched it today. Uh, Nicole Eggert was the your co- the co-star in that. She was wonderful. We had a great, we had a great time. We had a wonderful time. There's no, there's no, I don't mean to imply by, by any means uh, uh, that, that it was anything less than, than my urging uh, that had us film that moment that way. It was just, it was just, you know what, it's more expedient. Let's do this. Let's let people get a rest who want to get a rest and deserve it. Sure. Yeah, but it goes back into what Ray was saying. It's a completely different character than anything else that I've seen you in. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We had a fun time. We had a wonderful time. We were, we, we filmed, we filmed that between uh, Vancouver and Whistler mountain uh, in a place called Squamish rock and Squamish is uh, Canada, the West coast of Canada's half dome. And so when we first got on the location, people said, well, there are climbers up there. You can see them. And I turned and I looked at this massive stone and I, I said, where? And they said, they're right there. Can you see them? There they are. There's six of them right up there on the face of it. <laughs> they were like, this. Like, yes. I, I, and I'm one of those guys, I, I get a nosebleed if I stand on a step stool. You know, so uh, they were the climbers who were doing this work with us. They said, you know, we've got some pitons hung up there and some ropes and stuff. You want to climb up there with us? I'm like, you must be out of your mind. You must be crazy. Yeah, that was that was a, a wonderful that was a wonderful shoot. We had I think we laughed, all of us laughed from beginning to end all the way through that. I think we had a great time. I miss I miss that's one of those shows that I actually miss her. I miss I miss many members of the cast. I made good friends on that. Yeah. yeah it's a good movie. Uh, most of these movies you can find on I think they're on Tubi is where I watched them. Okay. All right, uh, I just want to talk about one more of your movies before we move on to the fan questions. Uh, another one I just watched today, Cyber Zone, with uh, Matthias Hughes. I think that's how you say it. Oh yeah, that yeah. guy. I've met you in person. Now we've we've met yeah. several times. Yeah. Yeah. I'm six two. Right. You're tall. You're uh, about the same height, maybe a little taller. He's huge. This guy's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Matthias. <laughs> yeah. He was a lot of fun. 
He was a lot of fun. He and seems I got like a lot of fun. I, I had a lot of fun too because um, uh, it's like it's like that Twilight Zone thing, where people expected me to be a to project a certain kind of personality and characteristic commonly associated with a leading man, you know. <laughs> and uh, I loved when he would grapple with me and get me in those <laughs> and I begin to whine. Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> I thought that was that was that was that was one of the most fun parts of that. Yeah. The reason I brought that up is um, a a viewer of ours of and a big fan of yours sent us this video, and you do it you do it in this movie Cyberzone, and I want to know uh, where you learned this to do this. Maybe you could talk a little bit about this. So I'm going to play this video. Hopefully, it works. Your gunplay. Whatever I was doing, I didn't do it that well. But I, um, uh, uh, that's a, that's that that's a holdover from my childhood in Texas. I was uh, raised around the King Ranch area, and whenever we could, we we didn't have horses ourselves. But boy, we sure climbed up on any horse we could get near that somebody would let us. And then, as I came to town here in uh, in L.A. I was fortunate enough to, to work uh, with a stuntman named Chuck Bale. And uh, he is legendary in the industry. Uh, one of the originators of the Stuntmen's Association, the first um, Stuntmen's um, uh, uh, Union or Guild uh, in the industry. And uh, he was a cowboy through and through. He used to trade horses, used to ride the rodeo, came into town himself and became a, a, a stuntman, a, uh, when Westerns were everything that you saw on television. Uh, and, um, uh, and he schooled me on, uh, on horsebacking and he schooled me on, uh, uh, and then, and then with him, uh, along with him came, uh, my, my acquaintance, uh, I was very honored to, to become a, a friend of, uh, Rex Rossi, uh, seven time world, uh, trick roping champion. Uh, and, uh, also the, uh, double of Gene Kelly, uh, in in such films as the Three Musketeers and things like that, extraordinary athlete, uh, and uh, uh, you know the story. I, the story I tell about uh, about meeting Rex Rossi was that um, when I was a kid, uh, I remember I had a dream, and in the dream, uh, it was back when cowboys were all the rage. And in the dream, I was shooting a silver pistol. Uh, no, I was shooting a pistol at the bad guys. And there was a cowboy beside me. Uh, and I was just a kid, but he was a grown cowboy. In his. And my, bu- my gun was out of bullets. And the cowboy said, I've got something for you. And he handed me this silver pistol in the dream. And it, I remember shooting this scene. I woke up. And I still had the pistol in my hand from the dream. And I walked into where my father was. And I said, look what I got out of a dream. And he said, that's nice. And then I really woke up. <laughs> I was having a dream in a dream. Decades later, I'm in Hollywood. I meet Rex Rossi. Rex Rossi says, I've got something for you. And he hands me a silver pistol. That's, that's awesome. 
Very cool. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Some of those old stuntmen. Yeah, we were talking to uh, Gary Davis, who was a, a stuntman in Hollywood. Sure. Some of those stuntmen, they're just incredible. You and I have talked off screen, uh, you know, off camera about um, some of the stories about some of the Hollywood stuntmen. Um, and it's just uh, some of the stuff that they went through, you know, even before joining the business is a amazing you know it's it's a shame that there weren't podcasts or things like this when they were alive because some of those guys would have had such incredible stories to tell oh it's really true it's it's really true the stories the stories that we used to hear secondhand even though you know i was very fortunate to come into town when uh you know henry i worked with henry fonda i worked with burt lancaster i worked with you know geraldine page and um uh uh, Maureen O'Sullivan and uh, 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 I can't they, they just uh, Jack Warden you name it I mean I, they were they were here in town working and and uh, and and uh, and so were all the people who made the movies around them uh, and there were there were many stories that uh, uh, won't be told now won't be remembered they should have been yeah yeah Ray, before we move on to fan questions, do you have anything else for Mark? I am going to let this go to fan questions because I'm sure at some point Mark will be back and I'll have more questions for him then. Well, it's, I just want to say before we go to fan questions, I'll probably repeat myself at the end, but, but uh, you, you really, Deluxe Edition uh, really, really runs an extraordinary organization, you know, uh, the kind of questions and the, and the space that's given to the people the, to the to the visitors uh, to express themselves is uh, is much appreciated. Thanks, guys. You do you do an amazing job. Thank you, Mark. Uh, yeah, so, that's appreciated. appreciated. Yeah, I know. When we when we email back and forth, uh, you know, I still I still I'm like I just got an email from the, the Beastmaster. <laughs> it's it's uh, it still blows my mind that we're friends, man. Uh, it's awesome. Um, how does it feel? How does it feel though to go an hour and and thirty five minutes without talking about the Beastmaster? Oh, that's nice. Oh yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. I can't imagine that there isn't a kind of a a set story about the Beastmaster that I haven't told already. But if uh, but there may be the the thing about your podcast and the thing about the um, the interviews that you that you guys uh, uh, conduct is that there are. Uh, is that the questions are are uh, open the door to nuances uh, as opposed to simply you know the the cartoon reconstruction of uh, of of what a great guy your 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 guest may be you know sure yeah we tried to uh, you know not ask the same questions that have been asked you know wow. thousands of times since you know yeah. the beginning of your career um, although. Now we're in the fan question. Go ahead. Do you like drinking beer in the garage with your friends on a Friday night and just talking about movies, music, pop culture in general? Well then, my friends, I have a great podcast for you to check out. It's called the Tencent Beer Night Podcast. My name is Ray. I am the host, and I set out to prove things beyond a shadow of a doubt every time I do one of these things. So let's hang out. Because because interviewers may have heard all of this, but not all the fans have. So that's good. absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to actually change this one around because uh, I've heard the answer to this. And I don't think that our uh, friend Ron will mind. 
it's uh we run a network it's called the deluxe edition network and right. uh this is a podcast from the network called barrel aged flicks and ron would like to know out of all the animals you worked with on the Beastmaster, which one was your favorite and i'm gonna switch that to i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> add other than kipling kipling was that his name because right. you've talked right. about uh right. working with uh, him before right Oh, uh, is that it? That's a question? Oh, gosh, life is good sometimes. I just sit and contemplate it, you know, because that moment's all about me. Um, uh, let's see. Um, uh, you know, uh, Kipling, the, the tiger in, in uh, Beastmaster, was really uh, the paramount experience as, as far as that kind of stuff is concerned. I rode... <clears throat> this isn't this isn't a, a favorite as in an emotional connection that I had, but I once rode an extraordinary horse. I once rode in the there was an episode where uh, I got to imitate some of my favorite Western scenes where you're chasing or being chased by the bad guys and firing your gun over your shoulder at them as they're pursuing. And I was riding a big white horse that used to be, I think, a racehorse. And it was like a like riding a big, huge balloon tire Schwinn bicycle. It just went like that, and you could just you could ride that horse for a month and never be tired. So um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I got I've got no answer for that. Okay. Right. Huh. that? Hey, uh, did them two ferrets smell bad in that movie, Beastmaster? Because <laughs> ferrets are some pretty stinky animals. It's not you can't you know it's not it's not fair to ask me that question. You have to ask them. <laughs> what they thought of me in return. <laughs> so I, I'm going to pass on that. I don't remember them. I don't remember them as being particularly stinky. Uh, uh, I just, uh, I just remember that whenever we were in trouble, they'd say, get the ferrets, let's shoot the ferrets. <laughs> <clears throat> Did you know that ferrets are a part of the skunk family? I don't, um, uh, <laughs> no, no, I've got, uh, and I know, boy, I have like a thousand, a thousand punchlines for that. And I can't deliver a single one. Nope. <laughs> well, that that may be why they, uh, although you didn't smell them, that may be why Ray was asking if they smelled. Well, they here's why. The skunk family. Here's why. Because my brother had this girlfriend who had this <laughs> ferret and she used to, she gave this thing a bath every single day. So my brother decided he wanted a ferret. So he bought this ferret, and within two days, this thing stank so bad. I had a girlfriend who wanted me to take a bath every day. <laughs> and that, that's a completely different story. Yeah. That's pretty common, though. <laughs> I guess. I guess. All right. Um, I did have a question in there. Oh, uh, <clears throat> this is a question of mine. You mentioned um, getting shot at or shooting yeah, yeah. Behind. I, I watched a few movies of yours within the last couple of days where you're shooting or getting shot at. I don't remember if it was this year or last year, but the thing with Alec Baldwin, when he, you know, shot and uh, killed the, the lady on set. When you're getting shot at, because I've seen you, you know, deliver both. You shoot at people and you've gotten shot at. Um, when you're getting shot at, it. Are you looking at those, at the weapons that, or are you not even on, are you not even in the, 
range of where they're shooting or how does, I, how does something like that work? You're absolutely right. I check every gun that ever comes on the set that has anything like a, a, a round that's going to be fired at anybody anywhere ever. That's the first thing I do. And especially if I'm going to be on the receiving end of it, um, even uh, there was a, um, there was a moment when uh, uh, in between Janie Badler and me, where she was coming through the crowd toward me in V and she had a, what's called a squib and a squib is an explosive charge inside her jacket. And she was, I believe she was going to be an attempted assassination was going to happen. And the squib was supposed to explode as she got close to me. Well, I kept waiting for the explosives expert to push that button and set off that squib. And she got closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And those things have particles that come out of them and you can lose a cornea. You can, you can go blind from that explosion. And sure enough, she got closer and closer and closer. And the more closer she got, the more I tried to edge away and the longer it took for, for that explosive charge to go off. And eventually it did spray me. Uh, But I I wasn't injured by it. But, yeah, there are a lot of ways in which even under the most controlled circumstances, accidents can happen on the set. I've I've had squibs go off uh, closer than than I would have wanted them to go off. And 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 other times I've suggested stunts which uh, uh, that I could participate in and be on camera uh, 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 performing, uh, which uh, uh, which were uh, uh, vetoed. Uh, because they seemed too dangerous, although I felt, and they had to do with explosives and stuff, although I felt that I could, that I could be uh, safely, you know, taken care of while doing it. Yeah. Well, yeah, things, uh, you know, especially back in the, the time when you were coming up, you know, you were doing a lot of your own stunts as well, right? Yeah. 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 That's true. All right. Um, moving on. Uh, Tamara Quist. Would like to know, uh, is there any chance of an autobiography with your life experiences coming out anytime soon? And I would also love to hear more of the cowboy poetry that you did on one of your other appearances on Deluxe Edition. Oh, I did? What did I What did I do? Do you remember what it was, Casey, at all? Which I don't remember you, offhand. Uh... Yeah, I was a listener at that point. So I remember you started to tease that you were getting into cowboy poetry. So you did a little verse, a couple lines. You didn't. Yeah, I remember it was. It was something you said you you do at Christmas time. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Um, Yeah, I, I could, I could. uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. So what is, what does she want to know? I'm sorry. Do this again. She Uh, the first, the first part was any chance of an autobiography with oh the uh, autobiography anytime. Yes, absolutely. It was the and I've got the title. I've got two. I have two titles. (laughs) One of them I was thinking of either one or the other. Uh, The first one uh, was uh, it should be entitled uh, Where do you think you're going? Uh, and the uh, uh, the second one, uh, I think. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Casey. And the second one, uh, the second one would be, uh, which I think, uh, based on the question I just received, would best would be uh, entitled. So you think you can't sleep? Uh, and so uh, I, you know, I can't. I can't imagine that an autobiography would be really that compelling to anybody. I don't think I've lived an impor- an interesting enough life. And then the other part was the cowboy poetry part, right? 
Yep. I'll give you, at least I'll give you a teaser. Okay. Like, like before my hoss is at the hitching post and scraping of his muzzle. It ain't his hide he's itching at, but at the bigger puzzle of why it is that he must stand a tethered to a log when out upon the open range, his breed is meant to jog. He's puzzling out the wherefores and the whys and such, I'd say, that nature or the hand of fate has dealt his cards this way. He's toting up the averages and figuring the odds of why some lives is lived as beasts and others lived as gods. It makes me some uncomfortable to see him in this light and make a vow to hay him good with extra grain tonight. I'll try to ride him easy some tomorrow as we trail, Remembering that hoss-like man must suffer some travail ere neath the earth the setting sun when day is done must fall and he's turned back to shelter in his warm and cozy stall, etc., etc., etc. Love it, man. How did you avoid picking up the Texas accent? Oh, I used to have it. I yeah. used to have it. I ha- I have remnants of it now. You know, when we, when you first uh, start out acting, if you're if you're classically trained, which I was fortunate enough to be under under the tutelage of Mr. William Duncan Ross. But but when you're classically trained, you're encouraged to get rid of all of those hallmarks of regionalism, whether you're mm-hmm. from Kentucky or from Birmingham, England, or wherever you're from. But, you know, I found uh, as uh, as the years have gone by that I I miss the the elisions and uh, and the vernaculars of the of, of my childhood and i think they they're they're more authentic even even shakespeare uh says for example he says when he's this is ulysses reading a letter and he says i do not strain at the position at the but at the author's drift who in his circumstance expressly proves that no man is the lord of anything etc 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 but the fact is that he says, I, I don't strain at the position, but at the author's drift. Drift is a cowboy term. What's your drift, partner? I don't get your drift. And so if it's good enough for Shakespeare, it's good enough for me. <laughs> so where did you come up? How did you come up with the voice for that the cowboy poetry thing there? Um, that just to me is the is the voice of the narrator who tells it. I don't know. Just, sure. uh, you know, uh, somebody else might do it in a deep baritone. I have no idea. Because Mark is a master of voices. I thought I explained that a while ago on this episode. <laughs> were, were you not paying attention, Casey? Come on, Casey. You, it's like, it's like you, have you read my autobiography? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's move on here. Um, Alessandro Passeri. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, what was your diet like leading into or during V to get you so shredded? Well, it was a, an athlete's diet. It was uh, high protein uh, and lots of greens and uh, trying to keep away from dairy. Just basically that. Uh, and um, I toyed sometimes with food combining. Food combining is where you don't eat meat and starches together you can eat greens and starches together you can eat meat and greens together but you can't eat meat and starch together and so i you you have to leave some some uh some space of time if you're going to have starch in your diet at all you have to wait 
uh, and let your food digest and then have starch uh, as a standalone dish. So, I mean, other than other than playing around sometimes with with that kind of stuff, it was just basically a good athletic diet, a balanced meal. Sure. Because after all, I was I mean, I, and the rest of it was just exercise all day long. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you've stayed in great shape, you know, even even oh. now you're still in. <laughs> Come on, man. I know. Okay, I know he's he's I in better you. shape than both of us. <laughs> he, he definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mark. Uh one last fan question okay. here. Stevie right. McQueen, he would kill me if I didn't ask you this. Oh, um, yeah. Is there any chance that you're going to be making any appearances in the UK for uh, any type of Comic Cons or anything? The last time that you were in the UK was 2006. Well, I love, uh, I love Great Britain. I love the United Kingdom. I'd love to go back. Um, I, I, don't, uh, I haven't received an invitation. Maybe I got into one of my long explanations and they, they all fell asleep. I have no idea. But, but I would love to go back and uh, I would look forward to it. All right. Um, and I've heard, I've heard rumors lately that there's a V, uh, something with V coming up. Have you heard anything about this? No. No? No. I mean, I, uh, Ken Johnson, uh, who I just uh, got an email from yesterday, uh, reminds me I've got to answer uh, is always working on uh, the the next iteration of V. Uh, and meanwhile, he's got another, he's got a book out title, which slips my mind at the moment, but it's about Sherlock Holmes in the 21st yes. century. Holmes uh, coming. Uh, that's it. That's it. Say it again. Holmes coming. Holmes coming. Exactly. Yeah, and, he's. Uh, uh, I just got that same email. Probably it just, yeah. the book's coming out. I think pretty soon. Uh, we're trying to work on getting him on the show as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, great! This was when I ducked down when I was joking a moment ago. Got another dog hair in my mouth because you can't <laughs> get enough of those. Minkerton hair. Minkerton. Minkerton. All right, let's talk about uh, this new movie that you're in that uh, we're, we're all waiting for the release of uh, that even Ray and I, the famous podcasters, can't get a screener of uh, <laughs> Team of Two. Oh. <laughs> I, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary movie by Joss Gomez, who combines, uh, he's a young filmmaker, young in the sense of, of, of the, um, of his oeuvre, right? Uh, but he's, uh, he is, uh, has devised a kind of a Fellini-esque uh, approach uh, to a- adventure filmmaking in which outlandishness and comedic spoof hint at i think an even an amazing complexity in his future offerings this guy's a, a pretty extraordinary filmmaker it, it's it's Fellini-esque in the in the sense that it is uh no holds barred and uh and make your own rules so that's that's about about as much as i can say about it without you know, tipping the scales one way or the other. 
Sure. It's yeah. another one of the, the these like sort of parody movies, right? It's a <laughs> you can't take it serious. Yes, yes, yes. Um, in the same way that if you see Fellini's Eight and a Half, uh, it's a parody in its own way. Um, uh, uh, so I don't want to. Uh, it's it's a funny thing, you know. Um, uh, Gary's Place, the play that I that you and I that, that I sent you that you've read. If I say that Gary's Place deals with Alzheimer's people develop a thought about it. They go, oh, yeah, I know what that kind of play is like. No, you don't. It's just, uh, it, so I, it, I, I'm resisting uh, trying to put a label on what Joss Gomez's film is like. Sure. Well, we look forward to seeing it. Uh, we're going to have Joss on eventually once we see it and uh, once we can talk about it. Great. We're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to anything that uh, you're doing in the future. Gary's Place being one of them. Uh, is there anything else that you want to say about Gary's Place? About Gary's Place? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know what? That, that, that kind of uh, question of all the questions that I've been asked this evening is um, probably the hardest to answer. Uh, I would just say... No, I don't have anything to say about it at all, except it should be read and it should be performed because I think it's an important part of American theater. That's yeah. it. And I'll it's say fun, fun and funny and romantic. Yeah, and I'll that, say that's the tag. What? I'll say this. Okay. Stay tuned for Gary's place. Okay. All right. It. Yeah. It's been great seeing you guys. Um, when you're out this way, stop by again, Ray, same to you. I appreciate that. Okay. Thank you so much, Mark. Uh, any plugs? Anything uh, that you want to plug? Just these. I've had these just put in. <laughs> I was going to say, you look great, man. You look fantastic. Yeah, it does. I know you don't have fucking plugs. Don't lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Mark. Anything else to say, Ray? No, nope, this is a true pleasure. Thank you. Same here.